Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's almost impossible for anyone from a lightweight boy band to transition to serious, respected artists. Now, it can be done. We can look at Justin Timberlake and, um, um, well, well, we can look at Justin Timberlake. And as tough as that is, it's even more difficult to move from being pigeonholed as a novelty act to one that carries gravitas and serious artistic merit. Yet that's what the Beastie Boys managed to do. No one took them seriously for the first eight years of their career. They were spoiled, snotty frat boys writing goofy songs and making funny videos. License to Ill was a parody of hip-hop. It was a good one, but it was still a parody. And let's not forget that Rolling Stone described the album as Three Idiots Make a Masterpiece. But then something changed. The Beastie Boys grew up. They grew as artists. They grew as businessmen. And they grew as humans. They took risks. They experimented. They branched out. They sought to make a difference, not just in music, but in the world. And by the time it all came to an end with the death of Adam Yock in the spring of 2012, the Beastie Boys had cemented a reputation as one of the most important bands of not one, but at least two generations. This is Remembering the Beastie Boys, Part 2. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. The Beastie Boys and Body Movin', one of the singles from their 1998 album, Hello Nasty. We'll get to the story of that record in a few minutes. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is part two of a look back at what the Beastie Boys wrought. The contributions they made to alt-rock, to mainstream rock, to hip-hop, to rap, and to a whole lot of other things, too. Part one ended with the, um, shall we say, underwhelming commercial reception of their second album, Paul's Boutique. It was a sales disaster. Of course, we now consider it to be a masterpiece of production and engineering. But back then, the majority of fans they attracted with License to Ill wanted more of the same, and Paul's Boutique confused them, or turned them off the band completely. It confused their record company, too. Adam Yock remembers being told by the president of their label that they couldn't afford to sink any more money into promoting the album because, well, they had a new Donny Osmond record coming out. That would mess me up. And maybe this did create a crisis of faith within the group because they took three years to release their next album. Or maybe they were comfortable with their direction and needed time to make sure that whatever came next was spectacular. 
The Beastie Boys moved to L.A. They set up their own label called Grand Royal. They took some big profits from License to Ill and built a studio called G-Sun in the Atwater Village area north of downtown and east of Hollywood. It's not a very cool spot, truth be told. It was an old ballroom and former community center on the second floor above a drugstore at 3218.5 Glendale Boulevard. It was right next to a plumbing store called Gilson's, but that place had fallen on rough times. The I and the L from Gilson's was missing. Rather than fix it, the owners just put up a hyphen between the G and the S-O-N, hence G-Son. This place became their business office, their private skate park, and their official home basketball court. Rent was less than $1,500 a month. For the first time since their early hardcore days, everybody grabbed some guitars and turned up the amps. It was Adam Horowitz on guitar, Adam Yock on bass, and Mike D on drums. The thinking was they'd taken the sampling thing about as far as they could, so it was time for a different approach. And their accountant also told them not to be so heavy with the sampling because the cost of clearing those samples would break them. So the change in sound was an economic one as well as an artistic one. It was about as punk rock as they'd been since the early 80s. Note the cover photo with the guys in their equipment cases. A couple of other people were brought in too. Money Mark on keyboards. He was also very handy as a carpenter and helped build the studio. And then there was Mario Caldato Jr., one of the guys who was in the studio for Paul's Boutique. They recorded more than 400 hours worth of music, jams mostly, and then added some beats. Most everything was done at night because the people at the drugstore on the ground floor kept complaining about all the noise during business hours. They used deliberately crappy mics to get that gritty vocal sound. And the results surprised a lot of people. But this time, they got it. The record was called Check Your Head. Oh, before we go any further, I should tell you that they work without almost any record company supervision. They'd been written off by the label, so they didn't take a lot of interest in the project. Rick Rubin wasn't there to guide things. The Dust Brothers weren't there to take control, so it was just the Beastie Boys doing their Beastie Boys thing. This was one of the earlier rap tracks from the album. It was built around a guitar sample from a Bad Brain song called Big Takeover. The big drum sound was created using a big 10-foot tunnel in front of the bass drum and then miking it at the end of that long barrel. And if you listen very closely, you might even spot a Dr. Dre sample. The Beastie Boys from what was, for all intents and purposes, in the spring of 1992, their comeback album, Check Your Head. That's Pass the Mic, which was the first single released on April 7th, 1992. Check Your Head not only solidified the Beastie Boys' musical credibility, it also sold big time, reaching into the top 10 of the U.S. album charts. They toured not only with Cypress Hill, but also, get this, the Rollins Band. Meanwhile, the Beastie Empire began to grow. Grand Royal, their private label, began to sign other acts like Luscious Jackson. Grand Royal also started a magazine and a mailing list. A clothing company called X-Large was created, specializing in skate and hip-hop wear. The guys were tired of looking around for cool clothes, which is why they started designing their own. Meanwhile, Adam Yock took a trip to Tibet that changed his life. He became a Buddhist and a strong activist for pro-Tibet anti-China political causes. That was the start of the Milarepa Fund, a nonprofit organization designed to promote awareness of Chinese oppression in Tibet. The Beasties also became involved in several AIDS awareness groups, along with a pro-choice cause. 
and somewhere along the line, they found time to record their fourth album. It was pretty well finished when Mike D decided to write one more song. It was released as a single four full months before the album came out. And the video, oof, you know, it did all right. Sabotage from the Beastie Boys' 1994 album, Ill Communication. And if you haven't seen the Spike Jonze-directed video, the only explanation is that you've been living somewhere beyond the orbit of Saturn since 1994. Here's some behind-the-scenes stuff. Like I said, it was directed by Spike Jones, a former pro skateboarder. All the guys in the band were supposed to grow hair and beards for the shoot, but Mike D is um, follically challenged. He had a hard time growing any facial hair, and that's why everyone decided to go with the fake glue-on stuff. At first, everybody thought that this was a big risk, something that would make the video look cheesy, but in the end, the cheesiness made it work even better. And if you remember the 1994 MTV Music Video Awards, the sabotage clip lost out to R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts. And you might remember how some drunk freak named Nathaniel Hornblower rushed the stage in a drunken protest. Officially, that was Adam Yock's uncle. But if you look past the beard, he looks suspiciously like Adam himself. That summer, 1994, the Beasties toured with Lollapalooza. I was there, and I'll tell you something. The mosh pits were out of control. After Lollapalooza 94, the Beasties embarked on a tour of their own called the Quadraphonic Joystick Action Tour. Huge success. Madison Square Garden sold out 30 minutes. And even more important was that $1 from each ticket was donated to the Millarepa Fund. Once that tour wrapped up, the Beasties issued two very low-key CDs. There was a quickie hardcore EP called Aglio e Olio, eight songs in just 11 minutes, Plus, there was a CD full of funky jazz called The In Sound From Way Out. But by 1998, it was time for another proper Beasties album. We'll pick it up there in a second. Much of the period between 1995 and 1999 was taken up with the Beasties' growing concern about Chinese oppression in Tibet. Adam Yak was the guy who really started it. He felt that the Beasties could somehow do more to raise awareness about what was going on. And that's when he came up with the idea of a Tibetan Freedom Festival, a large gig featuring some major names. Took a lot of work and some heavy organizing, but he pulled it off. More than 100,000 people paid 30 bucks a pop to the first annual Tibetan Freedom Show at Golden Gate Park in San Francisco on July 15, 1996. The lineup included the Beastie Boys, plus the Smashing Pumpkins, Bjork, Sonic Youth, the Chili Peppers, and more. And all profits went to the pro-Tibet Millarepa Fund. A year later, a two-day event was held in New York, another big success. And after that, in 1998, there was another two-day event in Washington, D.C. Meanwhile, the guys were busy doing remixes and producing records for other people. And when they weren't doing that, they found some time to pull together another album. It was ready by July 14, 1998, and they called it Hello Nasty. Another number one, this time selling 681,000 copies in its first week in the U.S. alone. Intergalactic from Hello Nasty. 
Now, if you're wondering about the samples in that song, let's break some of them down. These are the naked sounds from their original sources. Let's see if we can place them in Intergalactic. This electronic album from 1968 is by Les Baxter, and it's in the song starting just after the one-minute mark. The Crusaders, a Houston jazz-soul fusion band, are represented. It's the bass part of this clip. And that do it right at the very end comes from a 1970 song by the Stovall sisters called Hang On In There. Don't let nobody turn you around, do it. Hang on in there. I know that these samples don't seem like much on their own, but that's the genius of the people who can do it right. They can weave these things, these sounds, into something brand new, either as is, or by altering it, or manipulating it, or mutilating it in some way. There was a gap of four years between that record and Ill Communication, and it would be even longer before we got to the band's sixth studio album. There are all kinds of outside projects. The Beastie Boys spent a lot of time getting into this new thing called the Internet, and were in fact one of the first bands to set up a proper, sophisticated website. Mike D. had a bike accident, a separated shoulder that needed surgery and rehab. Adam Yock started getting deeper into film, setting up a studio called Oscilloscope Laboratories in Manhattan. There were more Tibetan Freedom concerts, there was Coachella, and there was 9-11, which messed them up a lot. The result was an album that was a love letter and tribute to New York. This album is really like New York City last, like everything has happened in New York City since like 2002 or 2001 or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that it's the last like two or three years, like all of us live in here and, and what that represents. Having fun in troubled times. That's a good way yeah. to put it, I think. Cause yeah, it's Sounds definitely- like having a lot of fun in, on this record. Yeah, I mean, in a way this, things are more crazy in the world than they've been in a long time and and so some of the record is like a reflection of that but i think a big part of it is is definitely what adam just said like kind of trying doing our best to just kind of live life too and have a good time in, in the midst of the you know insanity i think almost i think that that because when we started on um, working on the record was much closer to 9 11 and and you know bush kind of more recently having just gotten into office i think that uh that I think we did more more of the serious stuff, I think, early on, and then I think we started sort of like loosening up and having more fun with it as it went along. You know, you have to reflect on things, and yeah, we have to speak on things, but you also, you basically have to find a way to have a good time, to enjoy life, and to live life as well. That's just part of our reality being right here. They called the album To the Five Boroughs. Check it out. The first single from To the Five Burrows. Let's hear more from the Beasties about this record and how it came together. Starts with some fresh rhymes. Some, you do more with some beats, so, though. Yeah, start out. Don't you think? Let's start with some beats. Got a couple beats. And then we say, you know, we'd listen to some different beats and be say, like, well, let's try throwing some rhymes on this beat. 
And then we're all, you and know, these are moms that already, you're writing for that beat. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, then yeah, we'll write. Then we'll say like, all right, let's work. let's put that beat on for a minute. So we loop it up, and everybody, you know, we take like whatever twenty minutes. Everybody writes a little bit. Well, actually, grab that's mice, usually actually. And then happens. we just throw some rough vocals on there, and then we see if it sounds good. And then if it sounds good, then it makes it to phase two. So then we'll go if the song makes it past that stage, then we'll go and record more like final vocals for it in. Uh, with, we'll go in the booth with the headphones and the, and, the fancy, and the, the nicer mics, the four fourteens, the pretty mics. And sometimes we've just imported the music as like two tracks, like a stereo track. But when we get closer to needing to mix, then we'll break it out and we'll put the kick drum on one track, the bass line on one track, the snare on one track, whatever. So then when it comes time to hand it off to Duro, then it's much more separated. Here's another single from To The Five Burrows. Lots of sampling of the Sugar Hill Gang rapper's delight from 1979 in this one. And if you remember the video, yes, that is Kanye West right at the end. Triple Trouble from the Beastie Boys and To The Five Burrows. There was a problem with this record. Spyware. Not in North America, but in Europe. Let's go back to 2004 and remember what the music industry was facing. Illegal file sharing was rampant, and the industry was looking to do something, anything, to keep people from stealing music. Somebody came up with the bright idea of installing some malware on some disks, ripped the CD to your computer, and a piece of software called a rootkit installed itself, screwing with your operating system. Sony was busted for this. In Europe, Capitol Records, the Beastie's label, used something called Macrovision CDS 2000, which was a rather insidious form of copy protection software that mimicked a virus. It didn't install any malware or spyware on computers, but since the Sony system did, you can see how it caused problems for the Beastie Boys. There were lots of accusations, and somebody had a lot of explaining to do. Other than that, though, the Beastie's empire was working quite nicely. The biggest exception was the band's record label, Grand Royal. It ran up too many debts and went out of business in 2001. But the worst was yet to come. The end of the Beastie Boys is coming up next. Three years after the Beastie Boys released To the Five Burrows, they did something that they've been thinking about doing since Check Your Head back in 1990, 91, and 92. When they started making that album, they mulled over the idea of recording a straight instrumental record. But that was dismissed as non-commercial and, uh, frankly, rather crazy. The idea, though, wouldn't go away. And on June 26, 2007, they finally released that album, that instrumental record. They said this was a statement about the status of hip-hop music. Didn't sell very well, but it did win a Grammy for Best Instrumental Album. Instrumental Beastie Boys with Electric Worm from their 2007 instrumental album, The Mix-Up. When that album came out, they told everybody that they had no intention of dumping vocals completely. They were just waiting for something new to come along and inspire some new beats and raps. Okay, fine, but how long was that going to take? Well, a lot longer than anybody expected or wanted. The first release date for the new album was set as September 15th, 2009. 
It was going to be called Hot Sauce Committee Part 1, the first of a two-part set. Great. But then this. It was July 20th, 2009. So, <laughs> it's crazy. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's dead serious. So, the reason that, uh, that we're here talking is because I have some pretty heavy news, I guess, to, uh, to say. Unfortunately, we're going to have to cancel a bunch of our shows coming up and uh and actually push back our record release um because recently uh about well about two months ago i started feeling this little like lump in my throat like you would feel if you have a like swollen glands or something like that like you'd feel if you have a cold and so i didn't really think it was anything but um but then just recently when we were over in europe doing promotion i started to think i should talk to my doctor and so I called my doctor and saw him when I got back this was about two weeks ago and he sent me to a, a specialist and they they did tests and I actually have a form of cancer in the gland that's over here and uh, and it's actually it's in a gland called the parotid gland and it's also in uh, a lymph node right in that area so I'm actually gonna have to have surgery probably next week coming up and um and then after that have to have some radiation done localized in that area but the the good news is that it's um that it is that they did scans of my whole body and it's only localized in this one area and it's not in a place that affects my voice so that's nice and uh which is a plus <laughs> that's convenient <laughs> so anyway it's a, it's a bit of a, a little bit of a setback it's a pain in the ass but this is something that that's very treatable and in most cases they're able to completely get rid of it and people don't have continuing problems with it and uh and they've caught it early and it's not anywhere else in my body and so so that's the good news so so that's what's up. So I apologize to everybody for uh, for anyone who's made plans or was, you know, psyched to come to these shows that are coming up. And, and uh, you know, I just uh, apologize for anyone that's put themselves out in terms of, you know, their, their schedules or whatever. And uh, we'll be back doing this soon. So, so that's what's up. MCA got his treatment and was well enough to push through with the new album. Hot Sauce Committee Part 1 was shelved, we think. And in its place, we think, the Beasties jumped right to Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. It came out on April 27th, 2011, more than a year and a half late. Yes, here we go again, give you more, nothing lesser. Back on the mic is the antidepressor. Hell rock, no pressure, yes, we need this. The best is yet to come in, yes, believe this. Let go my echo, where I flex my ego. Make some noise from the last ever Beastie Boys album, Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. The album did well enough but it was soon apparent to everyone that Adam Yock's cancer was not as treatable as first thought. There was surgery and radiation therapy. There was no tour, and he wasn't well enough to appear in any of the videos from the album. When the Beastie Boys were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in April 2012, MCA was too sick to attend. The other two guys read his letter from the stage. All right, everybody, so Adam Yock wrote this and he read it. I'd like to dedicate this award to my brothers, Adam and Mike, uh, who've walked the globe with me, to anyone who has been touched by our band, who our music has meant something to. This induction is as much ours as it is yours. To Kate Schellenbach, to John Berry, 
to John Barry's loft on 100th Street and Broadway, where John's dad would come busting in during our first practices screaming, will you turn that off already? In support of parents, Noel and Francis Yauch, and to our home in Brooklyn where we used to practice on hot Brooklyn summer days after school, windows wide open to disturb the neighborhood. But most of all, I'd like to thank and dedicate this honor to my smart, beautiful, loving wife, Detchen, and our sweet, talented, loving daughter, Lose. Never has a man felt more blessed than I to be able to spend my time with my two soulmates. I love you guys more than you know. I wish I could name everyone who deserves naming, but of course there's too many names to name. You know who you are, and I send my love out to all of you. Your friend, Adam Yowd. Thank you, everybody. On April 14th, 2012, Adam Yock was admitted to New York Presbyterian Hospital in Manhattan. He went downhill very, very quickly. And at 9 in the morning on May 4th, 2012, he died at the age of 47. The official cause of death was salivary gland neoplasm, cancer of the salivary glands. That, of course, was the end of the Beastie Boys. There was never any question that once Adam was gone that Mike D and Adrock would continue. Adam left behind a wife and a daughter. His will stipulates that no Beastie Boys song should ever be used in advertising. He wrote that bit in by hand right near the end. The other two guys have no problem with that. And if you go to Brooklyn Heights, you'll find Adam Yock Park, a few blocks from where he grew up. It's where he learned to ride his bike as a kid. The Beastie Boys enjoyed a very long, very successful career. By the time they released that last album, they weren't boys anymore. The last time I met them all in person, they had a lot of gray hair. And if we're honest, Hot Sauce was probably going to be their last album anyway. But that didn't mean they didn't have more to offer as human beings. Adam Yock was committed to his fight for the people of Tibet. He was a big supporter of feminist causes and LGBT rights. Now, Mike D is into real estate. He's an interior designer as well. He also wants to work more as a record producer. He's married to Tamara Davis, a television, film, and music video director. They have a couple of kids. And Adam Horowitz is a remixer working under the name 41 Small Stars. And you might find him playing bass with Bridget Everett, a New York cabaret singer. He wouldn't mind doing more acting, too. He's currently married to Kathleen Hanna, she of the riot girl band Bikini Kill, and the woman who accidentally inspired Kurt Cobain to write a song called Smells Like Teen Spirit. But that's another story. Like I said at the outset, the Beastie Boys have been hugely important for our music. Two generations and influential across multiple genres. We're lucky to have had them as long as we did. If you would like to connect with me and this show on some level, I would very much like that. I read every scrap of email that goes to alan at alancross.ca. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Google+. Basically, search and ye shall find. You should also visit my official website, ajournalofmusicalthings.com, which is updated obsessively every single day with all kinds of cool news and audio and video and recommendations. And it also comes with a great free newsletter. comes out every weekday by 10 a.m. Eastern. You really should subscribe. Tactical Productions by Rob Johnston. Talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.